Amen, amen, amen. Well, today we inaugurate our first installment in our series on worship and identity, lifestyle, and expression. Uh, today, I want to talk to you at the subject of access granted. Access granted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Honor you for the fact that Christ has given us access to you. Help us to see that unpacked today as we dive into what it means to uh, to make the most of the access that Christ has granted with our ability to worship you, Lord. And in order uh, for this to happen, you have to empower this. You have to give it strength. You have to give it the grace necessary. You have to prepare hearts, and you, you have to send your word that goes forth in power at all times, but you have to power your servant. And so, God, in order for that to happen, i got to hide behind this cross and hide behind the resurrection uh, so that you can be seen and I will not be. So, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. This is our first installment in our worship series, and I'm excited about this opportunity to dive into this series. After this series, we will uh, be going through the family series, and then after our family series, we'll be going through 1 Corinthians uh, line by line for about a year, year and a half or so. So it's going to be great. But, but right now we're in our worship series, and, and in opening up this series, I'm actually starting the series from the end of the series. I'm a, I turn the series backwards. Instead of preaching through a series, I'm preaching backwards through it. It's because I thought that it's important for us to see the end in order to understand the beginning. And, and, and in doing that, uh, we come to this passage that we're in, which reminds me as we get into uh, this, th this, this session on access granted, it reminds me when I, when I first started liking my wife. You know what I'm saying? Back in about December 1993, I can remember it like it was yesterday, uh, a little honey dip on Bowie State University's campus, dime piece, lovable everything, you know what I mean? Caramel, caramello complexion. You know what I'm saying? Loving the Lord Jesus and walking with him. I know you're embarrassed. And, um, and, um, and, and, and man, uh, uh, I remember we started liking with each other. And it's interesting the portrait of a person that you create when you are attracted to them. Uh, uh, you, you, you have all of these preconceived notions based on either the vibe they give off or what you learn about them from when you're around them. But now having had been with, married to her, been with her 19 years, been married to her almost 16 years, I, I realized that the caricature that I, that, 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 that I created of her reduced her to less than what God created her to be. In, 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 other, in other words, my first impression reduced her to the aspect of what I was initially attracted to her about. But, but the issue is that because she was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a depth to her soul that I could not know at the time. There, there was a richness and a full-bodiedness uh, to her soul that I could not get to know. That's why becoming one flesh is a progressive act by which husband and wife glorify God and get to know each other. And, and, and as I've done that, I have repented in my heart of my reductionistic philosophy of her because she was more than what I saw when I first started liking her. Worship is the same way. See, many of us reduce worship to an aspect of worship that we like. Let me see if I can make it plain. Many of us like worship because we think worship is shouting only. 
You know, and, and we, we think that worship is foaming at the mouth only. Uh, we, we think worship is speaking in tongues only. We, I mean, we got all of these reductionistic philosophies of worship. But as you look at the premise of the Bible, the Bible has a way more full-bodied and rich understanding of what worship is. Worship is our identity, our lifestyle, and our expression to, in, by, and for God. And so in light of that reality, worship is much deeper than what we make it. And so today we come to a passage of Scripture that really doesn't mention the word worship once. But it's impossible implicitly without reading this passage to get the implicit implications of the fact that this passage is all about nothing but worship. And so as we come to this passage, we come to a book called Hebrews. And Hebrews is, is a book that has no signatured author man-wise. However, the early church knew who this person was and even, uh, even acknowledged that this should be a part of the canon. And the beauty of this book is it so richly culminates everything that's been said in the Bible in a powerful, powerful way by propping up Christ as the most important figure and the central figure of the Bible because the Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about Jesus. There is no one else that should be highlighted or exalted in the scriptures in, instead of Jesus Christ. So much so that the author of Hebrews says something powerful. He says in chapter 1, he's better than the angels. He also said that he's better than men. Later, he says he's better than Moses. Then it says he's better than the Old Testament law. Then it says that he's better uh, than, than, than the Sabbath. It said that he's also better than the Aaronic priesthood. It said that he's better than everything that came before him because everything before him was a trailer for him. But, but in other words, there is a full-bodied nature in which the entire Bible is an unfolding rose to, to present and to express to us who Jesus Christ is. And so as the writer has been building a phenomenal case, a rich case, for who Jesus Christ is, we come now to a section of the book where we have sort of like a praise break, if you will. It's sort of like a beautiful praise break, which bakes, breaks down an anthology of how we got access to God through Jesus Christ and how we are to make sure that we maximize the reality of the fact that we have this access and living it out in every single day of our lives. And so, which brings me to my first point. I got two. The first point today in access granted is Jesus rebuilt for us authentic worship. Jesus rebuilt for us authentic worship. Look in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened up for us the curtain that is through his flesh. So he's speaking to both male and female believers, i.e. in this passage, the Hebrews, and in this book called Hebrews. And, and as he's expressing this to them, he's talking to them about the newness of the access, access that we have to God through Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ literally built our way back to God. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, you got to understand, this would have been extremely shocking to them. 
to, because, because in their history and in the history of redemption, there was not a lot of confidence in coming into the presence of God. It, it was so much so a lack of confidence in coming into the presence of God that on once a year when the high priest would go into the holies of holies with the bells on his ankles and his arrayed outfit on that Moses had laid out, uh, God had laid out through Moses in the book of Exodus, and in Deuteronomy, they, they, none of them said um, they wanted to actually go in after the high priest just in case he dropped dead and something went wrong because of his lack of submission to God in coming before him. And so they would tie a string around his way, a really, really strong, strong rope around his ankle because if he dropped dead, nobody wanted to go in and get him because you didn't just walk into the inner sanctum nor the holies of holies. And so whenever, if, if, so they hear the bells as he goes in, jingling as he goes in, meaning that everything is safe. But if, it, but, but if there's silence for too long or they hear a drop to the ground, poof, and then jingling real quick, they knew that something was wrong with the way he went up in there. And since nobody felt authorized and knew that they were authorized to go in because of their fear of just going into God's presence, their fear of recognizing his holiness, their fear that recognizes that you can't just come uh, uh, into his presence any old kind of way. Matter of fact, you have to be absolutely unadulteratedly authorized to come in God's presence. That, that don't make it plain for you. Uh, uh, my man uh, Uzziah one day was smelling his underarm sauce one day. Uzziah said, man, I'm just going to go up in the temple. I'm king of the people. I should be able to light some incense if I want to. So I, Uzziah was like, I'm going on up in the joint, and I'm going back there, and I'm going to light me up some incense. So he goes into the temple. He runs in that joint. He's lighting the incense, and then the priest and the Levites is running after him. King, don't do it. King, don't do it. And then after a certain point, they said, all right, go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Then money lit up with leprosy because God said, oh, you think you king? And just because you king, you think you authorize yourself to come in my presence. He said, don't let your pride get the worst of you. And so, and, and so in other words, God, you couldn't just come into. So there was a sense with the people of God that you couldn't just come up into God's presence. If that don't get you, Uzzah, my man Uzzah in, 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 uh, in Chronicles begins going. And, and, and they had the, um, the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. And their worship was booming. The worship was great as the band was going forth. You know, David was, was getting his dance on, and they was killing it and enjoying themselves. But they had the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart when Deuteronomy chapter 8 explicitly says that the, that the priest should be carrying it. The new cart was on the back of an ox. Stay with me as I build the foundation. And as they were walking, the cart began to, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant began to slip off the back of the ox. When it began to slip off the back of the ox, Uzzah, you know, he wanted to do God a favor to make sure that the Ark of the Covenant didn't fall. So he put his hand out. I like the way the Bible says, and he stretched out his hand. It didn't say he touched it. It said he stretched out his hand, and before he could touch the cart, he dropped dead. In other words, there was a modus operandi set for the fact that you can't just come into God's presence any old kind of way on your own terms and with your own philosophy of what worship is. In other words, God has to define and develop what worship is and give it to you. And, and, and so as we come to this passage and him saying we come before him with confidence, that's mind-boggling for people who say, you mean all of us can come into the presence of God without any type of hindrances without anyone that's a mediator, that's a human being before us, and he's laying this out in a powerful way and lays out confidence. This word confidence is powerful. It means 
a state of boldness, courage, and fearlessness. One writer says it's a rare in ancient Greek literature, the word translated confidence connotes freedom of expression and openness in conduct. It not only means confidence by itself, the force of it is authority. That authority has been given to someone to do something for someone. And that means we have free access to God. But the holy places is interesting here. Because the holy places he's talking about here isn't a human tabernacle that's created by human beings. But over in chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 5, stay with me, y'all. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it said everything that was created in the earthly tabernacle was a copy of what was in heaven. So that means that when we have access to the holy places, he's not just talking about the holy places that were created by human hands, the outer court, the inner court, the holies of holies. What he's talking about now is that when you worship and when you pray and when you come before the living God, some spiritual and mystical way, we are transported into the holies of holies of heaven. Why? Because heaven has an outer court, an inner court, and a holies of holies. I don't know what's going on in the outer court. I don't know what's going on in the inner court. But I know that Paul says in Timothy, he says that God dwells in unapproachable light. In other words, nobody's just going up in there. And the Bible says in Psalms, if anyone comes before God, who can stand? And so he's saying we can come with confidence into the holy places. But then he gives the means and the instrument and the mechanism by which we are able to go into the presence of God. And he says the blood of Jesus. Uh-huh. See, the blood of Jesus is the directional signal to the throne of God. See, see, when, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and when you've been washed with the blood, your signal never goes dead. There are no dead spots in heaven because of, there's no dead spots on earth if you are connected with God through Jesus Christ. You know, you know there's some providers, I ain't going to name no names, that I can't be bothered with. You know, because every time I get to this uh, certain spots around the city, the connection goes dead. So usually I know that either my call is going to get dropped or I'm going to have to turn it off and tell them I'll call them back till I get out the dead zone. Because the dead zone is there because the signal is extremely weak in that particular spot. But the blood of Jesus is so powerful that we don't have any dead spots anymore. The, the, God, God always have full bars in his spiritual presence for us to be able to come before him. And it's not because of anybody else. It's not because of anything else, but it's because the blood of Jesus. Ain't nobody going to talk back to me today. The blood of Jesus is the red carpet into the presence of God. It's the best red carpet on planet Earth and in heaven. It's, it's better than the Grammy red carpet. It's better than the Golden Globe red carpet. It's better than the Emmy red carpet. It is the greatest red carpet that has ever existed in the kingdom of men. But the blood of Jesus is also the banner for us to move and march towards God. Tony, Pastor Tony Carter, pastor of East Point Church in Atlanta, wrote a book called Blood Work. Phenomenal theological book. And, he, and the book is only just on how the blood of Jesus is used in the Bible. And he begins talking about all of the semantic domains that is set up in the Scripture to give us clarity about the blood of Jesus Christ. He first says that we are purchased by the blood. Then he talks about justified by the blood, redeemed by the blood, bought by the blood, peace by the blood, cleansed by the blood, sanctified by the blood, elect by the blood, ransomed by the blood, and freed by the blood. I'm glad that it was nothing but the blood that set us free. I know I'm in here alone. If I had some old mothers 
from the Pentecostal church down the street. They'd have ran around the church 15 times. They'd have ran down uh, to Fairmont Park and marched back up the street with the bloodstained banner, singing old Baptist hymns about the blood of Jesus. But I'm so glad that Jesus Christ's blood gives me access to God. My signal is never weak. I always got my bar straight up because the blood of Jesus is not just a source of pardon, but it's a source of our purity. The blood of Christ. It's interesting that in the book, Pastor Carter says that the blood of Jesus is talked about more in the Bible than, listen, than the cross. The word appears more times than the cross. Why? Because the cross has no sufficiency without the blood spilling on it. <laughs> See, the blood sanctified the cross to be able to redeem us from our sins. The cross would have just been a palm tree, or it would have just been a pine tree, or it would have just been a weeping willow, or it would have just been some type of odd type of bush. But I'm so glad that the sanctifying work of the blood turned it from just a normal piece of oak, a normal piece of pine, a normal piece of wood. I don't know if it was hickory. I don't know if it was mesquite wood. I don't know what kind of wood it was. All I know is that when the blood got on it, it was enough to take me from spiritual death to spiritual life. I, 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 don't, I don't know what kind of wood it was, but all I know is that the wood was sufficient, carried on the back of the Savior, nailed through the hands of my Savior and the feet of my Savior to staple him to the cross so that his bleeding could turn into my pleading. I'm alone by myself. And so I'm so glad for the beauty of the blood that takes away and transforms us into the fullness of the image of what God wants us to be. And that's why we have access, that the blood gives us access to be able to worship God. That means that the red carpet into God's presence means that by the time you get into God's presence, because the blood of Jesus is the way into God's presence, as you move towards God's presence, you're pretty bloody. And, and, and so by the time you get to the presence of God, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ. Oh, y'all quiet. See? See, this is powerful. This is powerful because, because the blood so covers us that our sins are no longer seen by the Father. No matter what happened to us and no matter what we did, our sins have been erased. Mm. Your sins are gone. In other words, you don't have to spend an eternity separated from God anymore. Now you have full you have an all-access pass. Let, let, let me see if I can make a plan. I, I, remember, I remember when when I went to a con friend of mine had a concert, and, 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 I, and I went to a concert, he's a pretty big deal, and went to his concert, and, you know, he, his, his manager said, wear this. And I said, wear this? I just want to, he, he said, he said, no, I want you to wear this. He said, he said because, he said, because you, when you have this on, gets you not only into the concert where everybody else gets to just enjoy themselves, but it gets you into the green room. It gets you back where the food is. It gets you back where the snacks are. And although there is security there, security stops people that don't have this badge. Because, the, in other words, they tell you this is as far as you can go. But, but, but if you have this badge on, they move out of your way because somebody higher than them has given you access that without the badge, you wouldn't be able to get into. See, that's what happens with the blood of Christ. Blood of Christ is the all-access badge into the unapproachable presence of God. You can walk in the outer sanctum, the inner sanctum, and the holies of holy. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is your all-access badge to be able to experience everything that God wants you to experience because it's the ID card into God's presence.
So he says, by the new and living way. I like that. I, I like the fact that he uses the new and living way. He could have just said a new, new way. But, 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 but this, is, this is very, very interesting uh, um, to me. That, that, that he didn't just say living, a new way. He says new and living way, which is beautiful. And this is very, very, very powerful right here. When, when, when he says the new way, he, he basically is saying that Jesus Christ did not use the old connection that Adam had. He didnn't reconnect the old connection. In, 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 other, words, in other words, when Adam sinned, and, was, and, and Eve sinned, and they were separated from God because of Adam's sin, the relationship with God was severed. So Jesus, coming back, didn't, on the cross, reconnect the same connection because that connection became obsolete. Because the problem with that connection is that you can lose your relationship with God. How do I know? Because Adam lost his relationship with God because his relationship at that point wasn't an eternal one yet. Are you tracking with me? But see, what Jesus did is Jesus created a brand new way where he said, I'm not even going to use that connection anymore. I'm going to create a brand spanking new connection so that, that's so powerful in its connective strength that after people meet me as Savior, when they sin, the access is still granted. You, you ain't get that. You, you ain't get that. In, in, other, in other words, when you looked at porn this morning, if you're in a relationship with God, access is still granted. When you cussed your cousin out the other day, oh, y'all looking at me funny. When you're in Christ, access is still granted. When you're prideful and greedy and, 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 and licentious with yours, even, the, even in the midst of all of that, that can never sever your relationship with God through Christ. Okay, let, let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. Let me see if I can make it plain. Uh, when, we, when we got the building, we had all types of phone. I mean, we got phone lines everywhere. And when the guy came in to do, to do the phone line, he's like, I can't use these lines. He said, because this is on an old system. We're on a new system now. And he said, so what I have to do is I can't use any of the old connections here because they're eaten up. They've been eaten up by rats. They've been, I mean, this is, this is a messed up system that we have. So what I have to do is I have to take all of this out, and I have to put the new system in. And this new system is better than the old system because it keeps your connectability to the source more effective than the old system did. See, that's what Jesus Christ did through his blood is Jesus Christ gutted the old system and created a new, and then he said, living way. I like that because it's a living way because it's a life connection source that's, that this is an active, rich relationship with God. That's why Jesus' definition in John 17, before the high priestly prayer, said this. This is what eternal life is. Most people think eternal life is, being, is, is going to heaven. That's not eternal life. That's not how Jesus defined eternal life. He said, and this is eternal life, that you know God and his only son. So, 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 so heaven isn't merely a living place. The thing that makes heaven heaven is Christ. If he wasn't there, heaven would just be a tricked out house. But, but because he's there, it's a tricked out house with him there. So that means that's a pretty good house. And that means that that connection to him can never be severed. Why? Because our relationship with him doesn't start when we die. Our relationship starts with him at new birth. When you're called to be born again, Eternal life begins then. Why? Because eternal life is a relationship, not a place. 
And that's why it's called the new, the new and living way. And so Jesus Christ connected for us a path that didn't exist. Jesus' blood created a new connection to God that is better than the connection, of course, that Adam uh, created. It's so booming that, that I, I was looking at somebody, I, I forgot what you know, hip-hop artist it was, or somebody on, on Instagram, and they said, they said, and I didn't know how I felt about the statement at first, but then I started meditating on it in the light of this church. They, they said, they said, they said if, if, you can't, if you don't have an open door, create one. Now, you know that's swag on steroids, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if, you, if ain't nobody going to let you in, you create your own way to get your ground on. You know, that's what they were saying. But, but there's some truth in that. Because Jesus didn't use a door. He created a new door. As a matter of fact, he became the door. John 10 said, <laughs> he said, he said, I am the door to the sheepfold. If anyone comes by any other way, he's a thief and a robber. So what that means is that Jesus Christ's physical body is the door into God's presence. So in order that, that and I like that because it's not that sucker Jesus that we believe in. That, that, that means that if anybody's trying to get through him, if they don't come with faith, they're getting knocked slam out. All right? So that means he's protecting the sheepfold because the sheepfold is the body of the dead and living people, uh, of the people of God by which we commune with one another through Jesus Christ. And so what's powerful about this passage is it pointedly points us to the beauty of the fact that the reason why we get to worship is because that our Christ has rewrought our relationship with God by inaugurating a brand spanking new way. And it says that he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. Now, when you're talking about the curtain, there was a curtain, a thick curtain that was made uh, uh, in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And that thick curtain on the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple was what separated the inner court from the holies of holies. And this was an extremely extravagant, beautiful curtain that, that, that people could see from the outer court because it was high above the inner court, but it was a beautiful thick curtain, and they knew that no one can go through that. But in Mark, in Mark, when Jesus Christ died, and he said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, it says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. But the veil tore in response to what happened on the cross. Why? Because when Jesus Christ's skin was ripped off his body for you and me, when, his, when blood was coming through the ripped skin of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the elements and the, uh, the inorganic elements responded to the fact that God had died on the cross. In other words, an earthquake happened, and not only an earthquake happened, but the veil tore from top to bottom, letting us know that through the blood of Christ and through the death of Christ, that access has been rewrought through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that now that we're in Jesus Christ, now that we've been transformed by this reality, we have access. That's what worship is about. Worship is about access, which brings me to my second and last point. We are invited to commune with God. I, I mean, every time I think about that, it blows my mind that we have an open invitation to commune with God. And, 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 and he gives three ways in, the, in, in, this, in this next part of the section. He gave us two confidences earlier. Now he's about to give us three ways in which we take advantage of our access to God. Uh, and, 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 so, and so he goes here, he says, let us draw near. Somebody say, draw near. Draw near. 
He said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is booming, all right? And so what he's saying is, he's talking about interactively going before God. Now, excuse the fact that I got to get technical here, but the technicality has applicational beauty for us today. The word draw near, for my my, uh, grammatical people, is a present middle subjunctive. Beautiful. Present means it's a present reality right now, drawing near. uh, uh, Middle means you have to take advantage of it on your own. In other words, nobody's going to do it for you. You have to draw near on your own. In other words, you have to, based on the subjunctive, means to intentionally take initiative for something. And and so in drawing near to God, God, God set it up that you'd want him. Okay. God is a gentleman, so he doesn't force you to spend time with him. Now, he will beckon you into his presence. But the Bible says in James chapter 4, it says, if you draw near to me, I will what? In other words, God is such a gentleman that he will not force you to be in his presence because he wants to be loved and liked by his people. So, therefore, you and I have to make a conscious choice that we're going to be in his presence. That, that, that means that every act of worship is a sense of us drawing near to the living God because even though you have his presence inside of you, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you don't necessarily experience his presence without drawing near to him. I'm by myself. See, see, see because the reason why some of y'all are quiet is because you don't know nothing about drawing near to God. See, if you've ever been in his presence where you pushed and sacrificed to worship him, when, you, when you've ever been in a place where you came in the gathering of the saints or you were alone in the shower and you didn't feel like saying anything to you where everything was pressing around you, but there was a push of confidence in your soul that said, though they slay me, yet will I trust him. There, 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 there has to be a sense in your soul that even though all hell is breaking loose and I don't feel like it, I am going to push my way into your presence. I'm going to say amen even though my mouth feels mute. I'm going to say hallelujah even though my soul would cringe at the thought. I'm going to lift my hands even though I feel like there are boulders on my hands. I am going to leap for joy even though I feel like there are weights on my ankles. In other words, drawing near is good hard work. That's why you shouldn't look at anybody strange when they bless the Lord. See, see, when somebody starts shouting, some of y'all start looking. Why don't they shut up? Why don't they shut up? And some of y'all saying it's distracting. But the issue is, the reason why you're distracted is because you should have been doing the same thing they were doing. See, you're looking all around, seeing, well, why are they making so much noise? Why are you, come on. No, what you, listen, when you get your eyes closed and you begin thinking about his goodness, and you begin thinking about his grace, and you begin thinking about how good he's been and where you were and where you could have been and how bad some of them accidents you were in could have been. But if it had not been for the goodness of God, if it had not been for the blood, some of y'all had some surgeries that you could have died in. And listen, and God has been so good that he kept you and that you're still here. And see, that, that means I'm going to press my way. Listen, let me tell you something. If God doesn't do one more thing for you, if he decides today, I am going to dry up blessing you. I'm not, I'm not going to bless you. No, I'm not going to bless you no other day. I'll see you when I come back. 
who he is is enough. <laughs> That's why you draw near. You better stop letting your mind think you're crazy. The, Holy, the, whole, the devil wouldn't tell you to bless him, oh, your soul, and all that's within you. You know, that's the devil. You know, that's the, I, I, don't, I, I don't receive that. That's not a word from him. The devil is alive. Nah, you better learn how to draw near to God. You draw near to God when you're alone. Because you can't do in the gathering what you don't do by yourself. You better learn. Some of y'all, I'll be on the train. When you get on the train, you put that music on. Make sure you watch your stop. Where you gonna get off at? You put that music on and you start blessing his name right there on the train. When you walking on the street, you bless his name. When you getting on the trolley, you bless his name. When you at school, in class, and you sick of being there, you bless his name. When you studying for a test that you don't know what you doing in, you bless his name. When you're on a job that you hate and you don't like. See, drawing near to him makes where you are better. <laughs> <laughs> draw near. I don't know what happens. It's some. He said, "Oh, you gonna draw near to me, huh? Oh, you actually like me? Here I come. I'm coming. Listen, God will meet you in your praise. Oh, I wish I had some help in here. He will meet you. He'll meet you right there. But some of y'all don't praise long enough. See, you gotta praise. You gotta keep praising and keep going. And you gotta. The old church used to call it tarrying in His presence." <laughs> See, I know that's old school, but they used to call it tarrying. And all of a sudden, at some point in time, the Holy Ghost would show himself known. And you finish with, when you see the old church and they go like this, that's called a quickening. That means he just showed up. <laughs> that, 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 see, that's what, that, that's, that's what happened. When that chill go down, you say, hey, when somebody go like that, that means that mean he just he just showed up. He's already in you, but now he's showing the fact that he's present with you. You, gotta, you better learn how to draw near to God and stop wasting time complaining. If you spent more time worshiping, if you spent more time lifting your hands, if you spent more time honoring his name, the thing that you're complaining about will get smaller because when you draw near to him, he gets bigger in your eyes. <laughs> you better hear me today. You better let everything in your life pale in comparison. That's what worship is for. Yeah. To show you how small you are. Show you how small your life is. Show you how small this world is. And then make your eyes enlarge on the goodness of God. Your soul, worship is a focusing camera for heaven's throne. It, it, worship is the lens to help you to see the attributes of God more clearly. I got to move to the next thing. He, said, he says, he said, let us draw near with a true heart. You don't have a true heart. Did you know that? You don't, you're not born with a true heart because the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, Ezekiel 36 says, he takes the wicked heart away and puts in a brand spanking new heart. Therefore, your mind, emotions, and will are now reconnected to God, and now you can go before God with an authentic heart. That's why it means, it means real. That's what it means. The word true means real. It ain't for spooky people, deep people. 
See, see, you need to be real. I, I ain't sick. The devil is a liar. I got the doctor's report. I ain't sick. I don't receive that. Hold on. Who got healed from denying that something wasn't real? When people came to Jesus, my daughter is sick. My daughter is dying. My son is possessed by a demon. He only healed what people admitted existed. You talking about you speaking this? You can speak all you want. Your words don't have power. His word has power. I, I call it those things. You can call all you want. Ain't nobody picking up the other side, dog. Help me, Holy Ghost. Then he says, with full assurance of faith. He says, we draw near to him with full assurance of faith. And our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is powerful. It's almost the identical words of Ezekiel 36. Sprinkle clean, right? Heart sprinkled clean. But now you got to understand what a conscience is. Why we had to be saved from our conscience. You know you had to be saved from your conscience. This is why. Your conscience is this. Conscience is the psychological faculty that distinguishes between right and wrong, either afflicts or comforts the person depending on their actions. So an unfallen conscience is the mechanism that God puts in every human being to help them to know right from wrong. Moral, it's just, that's why everybody embedded in them has a sense of morality even if they're not saved, right? However, the issue is, is that our sense of morality is still falling because the connection is severed between God and man. And so which makes our conscience evil. This is what makes our conscience evil. And evil, our conscience is that is either insensitive to God's moral law or focuses on the shortcomings and despairs us without applying a solution. Thereby leaving us in our guilt and shame, causing us to be depressed despairing, feeling guilty, the shame of our sin. And these are the two things we try to do when we feel that way. We either become very legalistic. Well, we create a list of righteousness that's absent from the Bible. Or we become licentious where we try to numb ourselves of our guilt by wilding out. So your wilding out is really about you numbing your conscience. But uh, see, the evil, uh, an evil conscience needs to be sprinkled clean because it tries to fix itself. And therefore, we because, because why? Because our conscience, the Bible says, condemns us. Now, that condemnation leads us into depression and all different types of things. So what has to happen is, is what Christ did on the cross is he became our expiation. Him becoming our expiation means, <clears throat> propitiation means he solved and he Feel, he, he took care of the wrath of God. <clears throat> but that's not enough. Because just because the wrath of God is taken away, that means that God's not going to send you to hell. <clears throat> but you still need to deal with your soul in the midst of his wrath being removed. So expiation means you no longer have to live in the guilt of your sin. That, that means, that's why, therefore, there is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you can't let the devil make you turn conviction into condemnation. Condem a conviction is that work of the Spirit by which he lets us know that we're sinning and we need to repent. But when you talk to the devil more than you talk to God, what will happen is this, is you will feel condemned, you'll become suicidal, you'll, become, you'll walk in shame, you'll become bitter, 
because you're not letting the blood be applied to it because Isaiah 53 says Jesus on the cross bore the grief of our sin. That means he took away the grief that allows us to be alone in our sin without him. So therefore, the renewing power of the gospel doesn't take away our sensitivity of sin. It shows us what the sin is, but it doesn't leave us there. It shows us what God's holiness is, and then the cross acts as a bridge between where we are and where we're not and where we need to be. So he's our expiation, and he says, we can do this with full assurance. Say full assurance. Full assurance. That you have nothing to worry about. You have absolutely unadulteratedly nothing to worry about. You can bring that thing right before God. I got to go to the next one. <laughs> he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. <laughs> now, when he talked about drawing near, when he talked about drawing near, he was talking about a spending time with God and going before him. Here is talking about the confession of our faith, which is the gospel. Now, this is very, very important because what the confession of faith does is it's our ability and willingness to continue to believe the gospel. That means you, you, you have to see the word of God in light of the relieving faculties that the good news about Christ's death and resurrection brings. So that means when you, when, the fact that you got to hold fast a confession of hope without wavering, that means it's stuff in your life that happens to you that tempts you to not hope anymore. And, and, and in other words, to, in order to hold fast, that, mean, that means things are, you, there are going to be things in your life that you want God to do that he's not going to do when you want him to do them. And what happens when he doesn't do them, hopefully they're things that are in his will, not you just shadowly believing God for some shadow promise that he never promised, right? But, 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 but what, what happens is is, is what we try to do is we're not just holding on to just specific promises. He's telling you to hold on to the confession of our faith, which is the belief in the gospel that allows us to see the promises clearly. Promises without the gospel is despair because they'll never come to pass because it takes the door of Jesus Christ to bring the promise to pass. Now, you can't let God's timing interrupt your ability to push to see the fact that God just hasn't done it yet. See, see you got to learn the word yet. See, see, that's what promise is about. Promise is, see, God many times holds out not just because it's not time, but because he's trying to get us to more effectively focus ourselves on him. Because God wants to know, do you just want the promise or do you want me? <laughs> do, do you just want the promise to come to pass or do you want me? Because if, if I just give you the promise, then you'll be excited about it. Or the what? Or the who? But I want you to be happy and joyful about me no matter what type of season of life you're in because your season doesn't change your soul. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to get out your way. Y'all looking at me funny. So I'm going to finish this thing up. One of my favorite, my wife's favorite verses is, he who promised is faithful. That's a powerful verse. <laughs> Last thing, and I'm out your way. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. It's interesting that he culminates on this. 
up because he's talked about spending time with God, drawing near to him in general. But then he talks about drawing near to him through his word or the word of the gospel. Now he's talking about you can't just do this alone. Worship is not just for you. It's for all God's people together. So he says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. This is powerful. This word stir means to light a fire. It means to set something on fire, to give something a sense of righteous, indignant anger that comes from God about the way the world isn't and the way it needs to be. It, it, it has the idea of when, 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 I, when I was a Boy Scout, when I was a Boy Scout, you, you know what I'm saying? We, 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 we had to, you had to make a fire. And when you made a fire, they teach you, you, don't, you, you, you when, it start, when it starts, you're doing like this, you got another person that's right there, and they're going like this, very, very lightly. They don't just blow real hard. They don't do like that. It'll blow it out. But, it, it, but, but you're not trying to blow on it. You're trying to give it something. You're trying to give it oxygen so that the more oxygen it gets, the fire begins to get larger. And you just keep blowing it. And then it goes, you're like, yes, we got the fire going. That's what your life should be for other believers. Your life for other believers should be oxygen. You shouldn't be a suffocating person to be around. You need to be a life-giving presence for other people so that when people come away from you, they want to walk harder for Jesus. If all you do is gossip and talk about how bad people are, and this person needs to do this. You know everything everybody else needs to do. But, 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 but when people, you got to ask yourself, every time you talk about somebody next time, say, how is the person I'm talking to about this going to be spiritually nurtured and at peace with God when they come away from me? You're supposed to stir one another up for love and good works, to love other people. Do people get around you and want to love other people more? They're just like, man, I need to love somebody. Today, or is it like, man, I don't know, I need a drink. You know, I'm just, is that you? I need some something else. Y'all know I know y'all stuff, man. Y'all better stop acting like. Listen, people need to come away from you refilled and replenished and have a sense of, God, I want to walk with you because you're going to hit a dark moment. It's, it's, it's already determined. You're going to have a dark moment and you're going to need somebody to refresh you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, around the 7th and 8th, 6th and 7th verse, he said, Titus, my son, came to me in my depression and he relieved me of my depression and refreshed me. His own, he made a disciple so well that his disciple was able to counsel him through his depression. See, that's why you need to stir somebody up to love and good deeds because the person you poured into could actually be the person that refreshes you. <laughs> I wish I had some help right there. And he said, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together for it's the habit of some. Some of you, I don't want to hear no more Facebook rants if you don't come to church. You don't go to life group. I, I, I'm feeling like this today. You always feeling like something today. Spread some love. Tell somebody, hello, a good day or something. 
going to come in your thread. Don't, don't defriend me now. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to come in your thread next time you start doing your thing. Especially if you ain't coming to God, I'm going to say, come. I'm going to put it in all bowls, and, and, and I'm going to put some character faces beside it. And I'm going to say, come to church. And then I'm going I'm to share it on Facebook. And I'm going to tell everybody to like this and jam their butts up to get with God's people and get their behinds refreshed and stop spreading that bitterness and get your butt around God's people. Yeah, you made me mad. That's why I went there. You made me mad. So my prayer is today is that we would have a phenomenal sense that God has regained us access through Jesus Christ. So let's take advantage of it. Father, we thank you. Honor you for the goodness that comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And God, I, I, am, I, am, I am encouraged by Christ. I'm encouraged that the blood of Christ, there's, we can't go too far that we can't be brought back. And Lord God, maybe there's someone here today that's never come to you by faith. We need you, God. And maybe someone here that hasn't trusted in that bloody Savior that died on the cross for sin, our sin, past, present, and future. And we need to put our confidence in Christ and Christ alone. Repent of our sin and put our faith on him for eternal salvation.